Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting Sparks Will Fly as one word, app to 77977. That's Sparks Will Fly app to 77977 or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. Amen. Let's um let's go to Romans chapter 8. Um I just want to go how many was uh how many was here not Sunday? Not, not here last Sunday. How's that? How many was not here last Sunday? All right, well, the Lord forgives you, and we forgive you, but we're glad to have you today, man. Uh, I want to, um, I was reading something, I pinned this down in my uh, journal the other day, and it just said simply this, the definition of preaching. It says that the preaching is to, to lend one's thoughts. Let me just read, I'm, I'm already messing it all jacked up right here. The classic definition of preaching is to hand on to others the fruits of one's own contemplation. That's good, ain't it? The classic definition of preaching is to hand on to others the fruits of one's own contemplation. So this morning, I just want to do that. I want to hand you the fruits of my own contemplation. I've been in uh, multiple things that I'm studying over. And uh, I want to go back to Romans uh, chapter 8. We're just going to stay in the same flow that's in this room. Thank you, Adam. Mike. That's good. I appreciate it. We'll um, give her a great God bless you, man. I mean, come on. All right. <clears throat> Romans uh, chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to read and uh, start reading in verse 14. I'm going to do just a little recap and then... We'll try to see how far we can get into the journey this morning, okay? Uh, listen, I was listening to uh, to Bill Johnson the other day, and if you listen to Bill Johnson, he always says a couple of jokes at the beginning of his messages. And what's amazing to me is uh, I remember being in live service with him, and he was sitting up there just telling jokes, you know, just uh, just going through his jokes or whatever, and he just stopped, and um, and he, he just stopped midways of a joke at the end. And he said, I'm telling you, there's a healing anointing right here that just came in this room, and about four people got healed instantly when he just, I mean, it's just amazing. So, But anyhow, he said that uh, there was this couple that uh, invited the pastor over for dinner, invited the preacher over for dinner. So the preacher went over there to the house, and the pastor had dinner with them or whatever, and he said that um, the, guy's, uh, the guy's wife could not find the spoon that the preacher ate off of. And she told her husband, she said, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that that the preacher just stole our spoon. And so it rocked on for some great length of time, and the, she was just struggling over the fact that the pastor had stole a spoon from their house. And so they invited him back to dinner uh, maybe a year later or some, several months later. And so they, he eats, and he gets done eating, and the wife just says, I'm sorry, but she said, I had to ask you. Did you steal a spoon from our house? Did you take the spoon from our house? He said, no, ma'am. He said, I actually placed that spoon in your Bible. <laughs> All right. So we're going to read a good bit of Bible. 
Y'all okay with that? You know that thing that stays dusty all week, you pick it up and try to find it before you come to service. That's what we're reading out of this morning. All right, um, so Romans chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 14. We're going to stay right in the same flow of just everything of how this service has went this morning. And it says, Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, I'm reading out of the Passion Translation of the Bible. If you don't have that, I encourage you to get it. It says, the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of what? Full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join in him in, in, in saying the words of tender affection. Beloved Father, for the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify, look at this, to share all his treasures. What makes us qualified? Because what? We're his children. Makes us qualified to share all his treasures for indeed we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we are also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. I just want to do just a little recap and then we'll get to where we were able to finish up and, and, and then we'll start from where we, where we landed last Sunday. But... Um, as I, I shared last Sunday, we've been reading a lot from an author named uh, Brennan Manning. He's just a phenomenal writer, uh, really got into his books. And one of the th in one of his books, um, he, really, the, he mentions this guy by the name of Paul Tillich, and he defines trust as the courage to accept acceptance. That's in his book, uh, Brennan Manning's book, Ruthless Trust. So to trust God means what? It is the courage to accept acceptance that you and I have been accepted into the beloved. Why are you preaching this, preacher? Because I want to get us from having a long-distance relationship with God to one having one a personal communion with the Lord. And if you don't believe you're accepted, you believe because of the things you've did and the mistakes you've made in the past, if you believe that is held against you, you will always have a long-distance relationship with the Lord. It was when Peter, after he denied the Lord, went back fishing, come on somebody, that he developed a long-distance relationship. But it was Jesus who saw him back, went on the shores to where he was. Not one time did Jesus rebuke him rebuke him for his mistakes, but simply solidified him back into, into his love. You with me? Now, so, so trust is the courage to accept acceptance. Another author says it like this, experience God's love in Jesus Christ means experiencing that one has been un, unreservedly accepted, approved, and infinitely loved that one can and should accept oneself and his neighbor. We said this last Sunday. You got to love you before you can ever love me. You got to love yourself before you can ever love someone else. You with me? All right, now listen to this. We went over this in a leadership meeting one night from out of Genesis 3 all the way to Genesis 6. But listen to this. All sin, all sin starts with... Um, 
with a, un, with a distorted view of God. All sin starts with a distorted view of God. And so if I have a long-distance relationship with the Lord, what I really have is an orphan identity. And in my orphan identity, I take on this, I take on this deal as my belief system in the center of my heart that if, that if, if I'm going to be looked after, i got to look after myself. How many knows that God is looking after us? He knows every detail of our life. According to Psalms 139, he knows our rising up to our going down. According to Acts 17, he chose the boundaries in which we would live. You didn't just happen to show up here. All of that was worked out in the mind of God. You with me? And God says, consider the sparrow, consider the lily. How much more are we than, the, than them? So listen to this. The script for self-hatred starts with a distorted view of God. Terry already quoted this. Brendan Manning, God made man in his own image, and man returned the compliment by making God in his own image. The mechanism of projection is a process of unwittingly ascribing to God your own attitudes and feelings as unconscious defense of our own inadequacy and guilt. Listen to this. other words, I feel bad about me, and if I feel bad about me because I know me better than anybody in this room, and if I wouldn't like me, then surely God don't like me. But here's the deal, what we got to understand, God is not like us. His ways are so much higher than our ways. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. And one of the words for holy means other. God is always other than what you are. If you broke in this room, God is not like you. He's wealthy. Come on, somebody. If you're sick in this room, God is other. He's healed. Come on now. All right. So what happens is self-hatred is a projection that starts with a distorted view of God that God is just like me. I'm ticked off with me. God is not like that. All right, now, listen to this. I'm going to read you this, and I read this last week, but I'm telling you, you cannot get this just by sitting in here uh, listening to one message. You, you got to go over it. Pastor Dale used to teach us like this. If you want to see a change, you preach the same subject for at least three months. Because you're only gaining just a little bit of, you're only, you only picking up nuggets as they come down. And I mean, you, you follow what I'm saying? And especially if you, if you go to a Pentecostal church, you remember, like we used to go to the buffet after church and you would ask somebody at the buffet, how was church? My God, it was good today. Well, what did the preacher preach? I don't know, but it was good. So, <laughs> you with me? So, what we're trying to do is, is to, to go over this so that you can get it. Now, listen to this. This is out of A Glimpse of Jesus, a book by Brendan Manning. All right, much of the distortion that does enter into our notion of God is introduced into each person's formative period, his youth. From his parents, a child learns of a God who strongly disapproves of disobedience and hitting one's brothers and sisters and telling lies. The youngster goes to school and finds that God also shares the many concerns, sometimes fussy ones, of his teachers. At church, the pastor's God has a, some, a somewhat different set of priorities. First and foremost is the urgency of growing the church, quadrupling the membership in three years. Though it is beyond his own horizon of interest, the child is aware that God often makes recurring emphatic fiscal demands upon the people. When he reaches the age for high school, he finds that God's own interests have expanded. Now God is obsessed with sex, drinking, and drugs. 
After he emerges from his youth altogether, he discovers sometimes with resentment that God has been used as a sanction for all of those who were responsible for his discipline. When he used to covert a bit mischievously at home, his mother might reach the end of her patience and persuasiveness and threaten, when daddy comes home, he will take care of you. Has anybody ever heard that besides me? (laughs) Hey, when daddy comes home, he'll take care of you. But if mommy and daddy are both at their wit's end, there is always an internal spanking to which they can and do elude. God is thus unwittingly associated with fear. When fear is present in our lives, listen, the fear of God will drive you to God. But the fear of punishment will always have you at a distance. It was in Exodus it was in Exodus, the, the 19th or the 20th chapter, somewhere around there, that God desired what? Not to have Moses as a priest to the people, but he desired to have an entire nation a priest. And he called them to the mountain unto themselves. And when they saw the thunderings and they saw the lightnings and they saw the smoke on the mountain, they told Moses, Moses, we, we, we're afraid to go up and have that type of relationship with God. You go to God and tell him whatever he desires, that is which we'll do. That is when the Ten Commandments come in. But God never desired to have a relationship with us through commandments. Come on, somebody. He prophesied through Jeremiah and through Ezekiel that I want to take the heart of stone out of man and put a heart of flesh, and I will write my commandments on his heart. In the old covenant, the the commandment says, thou shalt. There's a fear. In the new covenant, it becomes a prophecy. You won't. Why? Because the Spirit of God is living on the inside of you. You with me now? All right. So, So this distorted view of God. All right. These feelings come within ourselves and are projected outwardly into the mind of God. We may find that we punish ourselves mercifully, mercilessly for real or imagined sins. How many know sometimes it's easier to forgive your neighbor than it is to forgive yourself? All right. And even then, we will not forgive ourselves. Fortunately, Christ has revealed the real God to us in unmistakably human form. I said this last Sunday, it's worth saying again, that if you, what you believe, if you cannot find it in the life of Jesus, you have to question what you believe. Jesus is the Godhead on the earth. He came to put a face on the Father. Hebrews 1, in, the, in times past, God spoke to us through the prophets, but in these last days has spoke to us face to face through the language of his Son. The Gospels is God's word, the language, his action, who he truly is portrayed in the life of Jesus. And in John 8, y'all going to help me preach this a little bit? In John 8, there is a woman caught in adultery. It was not hearsay. She was caught in adultery. The law said to stone her, but Jesus came to put a face, come on somebody, on the heart of the Father. And the heart of the Father was to forgive her. In the new covenant, there's only one stance to sin, and that is forgiveness. The church... (laughs) 
The church's stance is judgment. Put them in a penalty box. Punish them. Kill them. Somebody do something with them. They made us look as bad. But in the New Testament, the heart of God is always forgiveness. You with me? Man. Well, you know, you know, you know, if we preach, if we preach the goodness of God, people, if you really preach the goodness of God, people are sin and cut up left and right. That's, that's the judgment. I mean, that's the thing people say to us. If you preach the grace of God, people will cut up. Well, Jesus, that's all he preached was the goodness. Think about this. He calls Peter. He said, let me borrow your boat. Now, these are a couple of things you don't ask a man. You don't borrow his truck. <laughs> he maybe won't mind, he won't mind me sharing this because it's shared publicly. But Coven at his father's funeral, whatever. Uh, the, the pastor that preached uh, after me, this is what he said about Coven's dad. He said that he talked about it. He said he knew it was his time. He was fixing to go be with the Lord or whatever, and he was ready to go. But he said, you know what I'm going to miss? He said, I'm going to miss my family. And he said, I'm going to miss my truck. <laughs> so listen, you don't ask the bar man's truck, and you sure don't ask the bar his boat. But Jesus Ask him, can I borrow your boat? Now look at this. He's, he's talking to a rowdy bunch of fishermen. So if he wants to win them, what kind of message is he going to preach them? Y'all better quit this cussing in this boat. The reason why y'all not catching any fish because y'all cussed all night out there. And y'all got something in your cooler besides ice. Come on, y'all. Ain't nobody want to. Listen, listen. <laughs> Now, what did he say? After he got through using the boat, he looked at Peter and he said, cast the net out one more time. Peter said, Lord, we fished all night. He said, he said well, we fished all the spots we got. We know where the fish are at. We fished all night. He said, but nevertheless, at thy word in the King James, I'll cast the net one more time. He cast the net that time and he had so many fish that he had to call other fishermen to help them drain, bring them to the shore. The Bible says Peter fell down in that boat and said, Lord, forgive me for I am a sinful man. Jesus was saying from the beginning, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. When you realize, my God, help me, Jesus. When you realize how much God cares about you and pursues you, that's what causes you to turn from your sin and turn to the goodness of God. Say, my God, if God loved me that much, so what the church, man, I'm, I'm about to come unglued. What the church has used is we've tried to use fear to get people saved and fear to keep people in the church. Oh, my God, I remember when I was a teenager, I went to watch Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Who's ever seen that? They come out in the congregation, snatch people out, throw them in the fiery pit. We was all ready to give our lives to the Lord. You with me? But what happens when that fear wears off, you right back out in the world. God, the kingdom of God does not operate off of fear. It operates off of love. If love wins you, love will keep you, friend. All right. Now listen to this. All right. Fortunately, Christ has what? Revealed to us the real God. To us is unmistakably, to us in unmistakably human form. Catherine's been saying, I need to get some readers. I told her, I said, Catherine, I do not get, need no readers. And I was in a meeting Thursday night, and Pastor Ashley was sitting beside me, and he had some readers. I said, let me see your readers. 
I looked at it, I said, oh, my God, I told her this morning, I need some readers. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was, I was once blind, but now I see. Look at this. <laughs> it takes, listen, listen to me. It takes a profound, a profound, it takes a profound conversion. It takes a deep conversion to accept the belief that God is tender and loves us just as we are. Now, see, I was, I've been in church a long time, and we used to say this, and I've said it uh, plenty of times. God loves us the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. That's an oxymoron. Either God loves me the way I am or he don't. Either God's for me right now or if he's not. But if I believe he loves me too much to leave me the way I am right now, then eventually if I ever get perfected, which I ain't got time to go through that, but you really are perfected right now. <laughs> Come on. I better quit. People already get nervous. Let, let me just. It takes a profound conversion to accept the belief that God is tender and he loves us just the way we are. Not in spite of our sins and faults, but with them. But with them. God does not condone or sanction evil, but he does not withhold his love because there is evil in us. The key to understanding this is the way we feel about ourselves. We cannot even stand or accept love from another human being when we do not love ourselves, much less believe or accept that God could possibly love us. All right. Now, let me just go over this right quick so we can set up the rest of the journey. We talked about the punishment paradigm. I ain't got. I pulled this out of First John chapter four. But those who fear, those who have fear, the fear of punishment, says they have not been what perfected in love. For perfect love cast out what all fear. So our prayer is God perfect us in what love. For perfect love cast out what all fear. What is there, 365 commands in the Bible that says fear not? Come on, fear's a big subject. Huh? Fear, uh, uh, fear and intimidation is what shut the young apostle Timothy down because Paul said God has not given you that spirit of timidity. You with me? But he's given you what? Love, power, and a sound mind. Remember how he had to instruct Timothy, he said, fanning the flame, the gift that's within you. What shut the gift down in him? Fear. It's what shuts us down. All right. So, in this, the fear of punishment, we talked about this. Danny Silk uses this. He talks about a punishment paradigm, and he talks about a new covenant love paradigm. In this old covenant punishment paradigm, my identity is this. My true identity is an orphan or slave. You with me? If that is my identity, 
I have a core belief that my flaws and failures make me unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. I deserve this connection and punishment. So does everyone else with flaws and failures. My motive is the fear of punishment, disconnection. All right, behavior strategies. I avoid punishment either by hiding and fitting in through pleasing, uh, perf- uh, perfecting, and per- performing, or by refusing to fit in by rebelling and making them my own rules. Punish others when they scare, hurt, or offend me. The goal is self-preservation. When the goal of our lives is self-preservation, we will never walk in the true freedom that Jesus paid for. Because my identity is I'm always looking out for who? Me. I got to look out for me. Because God, I mean, he, he surely can't look out for me. I mean, I can't trust him enough that he could be faithful to look out for me. Because I really don't trust the song that we sung when the Father's love was all in this room and I had tears flowing out of my eyes. How many felt the Father's love this morning? That wasn't the Holy Ghost fire. That was the Abba Father's love all over this room securing our hearts and our our true identity as sons and daughters saying, hey, I got every detail of your life. God cares about every detail of your life. If it matters to you, it matters to him. Every detail of your life. Didn't I sent Terry a text yesterday of me and my son hunting in the woods. I just had an amazing time yesterday um, that um, I have to sit with John Ben. And yesterday morning, it was really, really cold. I mean, I, I, I got cold, and there's a few, I don't really get cold that much, but I was freezing. And I told John Ben, I said, we're going to get out about 9 o'clock. He looked at me, he said, if you want to get down at 8.30, I'm good with that. I said, I am too then. Let's go. Get out of here. Heck with these deer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but but I, 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 I sent him a picture of being hunting, and I told him this. I said, God cares. Did I not? I didn't have no idea about that song, but I said God cares about every detail of our lives. You with me? Every detail of your life. But because of an orphan mindset, it causes me to miss the fact that he cares about every detail of my life. And because I live as an orphan in a long-distance relationship, I believe if every detail of my life is going to be looked after, I have to look after it. But God is trying to secure our identity as sons, and when we get secure as sons and daughters, he becomes Abba Father, Daddy, and a good dad takes care of his children. You ain't never going to be able to call defects on God. I remember reading a book years ago by Paula White, Paul and Randy White, and they, they, when they started that church down in Tampa, I believe it was, Church Without Walls, they were talking about, she was talking about how they had to eat government cheese to make it or whatever. And, and she said, I'm telling you right now, we are going down. And Randy looked at her and he said, I want you to write a book right now, and I want you to pin this book about we stepped out on faith and that God didn't come through for us. And he said, we'll be the first one to ever author a book that God let down and failed. God don't fail none of us in this room, friend. Come on, somebody. If God told you to do it, he's going to make a way. He opens doors where no man can open, and he closed doors that no man can shut. All right, you with me? All right. So, goal self-preservation. I'm looking out for me, myself, and I. Because I got to look out for me. I got to make sure that I'm taken care of because God ain't going to take care of me. All right, now here. 
Here's the shift. The shift is when we move into Romans 8 and we move into our identity as what? Adoptions as what? Sons and daughters where he becomes Abba Father. Now I take on a whole new mindset. This is the paradigm. My identity is a son and daughter of God. My core belief through Jesus, listen to this, through Jesus I have become a son or a daughter who is worthy of love, who is worthy of love, belonging, and connection. Through Jesus, I have become a son or a daughter who is worthy of love, belonging, and connection. My mistakes do not disqualify me. My God, I'm shouting about that one because I've, I've had a few. My mistakes do not disqualify me from the Father's love. Instead, instead, they are precisely where I learned the depths of his love. Where? In my mistakes. Gosh, Lord Jesus. This instead, this is precisely where I learned the depths of his love. Forgiveness, commitment to transform me into a mature child. What is the motive? Love. Behavior strategies? Pursue connection even when it's scary, painful, or offensive. The goal is connection. I've used this several times because it's just that good. Havla Cunnington put out this thing on her Instagram page, and it was just a simple note. And she had this note scratched out, and she said, religion. And this is what she had written up under it. She said, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. See, we believe that because when we were little, when we messed up, our dad nearly killed us. And I'm not perfect at this. My oldest son could get up right here and preach because they sometimes I want to put the fear of man and God in him. You with me? But I'm learning. How many, how many knows when you got beat down, you didn't stop what you were doing because you disliked it? You was afraid that your dad was going to kill you. Religion, I messed up, my dad's going to kill me. The gospel, I messed up, I need to go talk to my dad. You with me? I messed up, I need to go talk to my dad. Now, how many have this mindset? I've messed up, thank you. I messed up, I need to go hurry up and go home and talk to dad. Let me just give you this. And I'm not going to reread the story again. I read about how, how uh, Danny disciplined his son for staying out all night. Had some, you know, someone share with me said, you know, I, I mean, I loved the way he handled that, but he still wasn't going to that thing that night, you know. <laughs> all right. Just show you real life, man. I live in the real life just like y'all do. I'm anointed to preach it, but I don't have a supernatural anointing to live it. I have to live it just like you. You with me? My house is no different than anybody else's house. So we get home, I think it's, I don't know, one afternoon this week. My middle son informs me as he gets home. And he informs me, no, he informs me after he goes hunting. After he hunts, he informs me of this. I'm missing five assignments in one class. Got a 54. 
Mama hears that, it's all over with. Scholarships are gone. I mean, he's failed. I mean, you know what I'm saying? This is over with. So, <laughs> I've been reading a little bit. So, I said, hey, buddy, I said, that's, that's no problem. I said, don't worry about that 54. I said, just stay right there doing what you're doing. And I said, you know what? It's, what's even going to be great is Asher's going to be in the same class with you in three years. I said, he's going to be in the same class with you in three years, and then we don't have to take y'all to different schools. It's going to make it easier on mom and I, and so then we can just keep up with your stuff while y'all in the same grade. What do you think happened at that point? He's like, man, I can tell you right now, that joker ain't fit to be in my class. I'm fit to figure out what's going on. The next day he come home, he had every one of those assignments called up, and by the grace of his teacher, picked that grade up to almost a B. What I'm trying to tell you, in the fear of punishment, our children never take ownership. What happened is he owned his own deal. Come on, somebody. And when you own your own mess, you have the power to change it. But if you live like a victim, it's not my fault, Dad. It's the teacher. No, listen here. Mm, God help me right here. Listen here. Listen here. I, this is how I did it. Listen, how many, is there any other kids? If, is there a kid in your class that is passing? Yes, sir. You have no excuse then because you both have the same teacher. It's not the teacher's problem. It's your problem. Take ownership of it. Take responsibility of it and fix it. Church, if we would get this, my God, we would have some kind of church services and quit living like a victim. It ain't nobody else's fault. You ain't got to stay on the same side of the tracks you were born on come on somebody it ain't because of your skin color come on somebody quit being a victim and rise up in the power of Christ that resides in you I believe my Bible says I can do all things who cry through Christ who strengthens me we will never change and get out of our mess living like a victim all right that's good preaching right there Listen to this. In the new covenant, punishment goes away, not because sin goes away, but because in the new covenant, there's only one response to sin, forgiveness. Now, let's look right here. We got to travel a little bit. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Got a 54. Uh, I'd have been crippled for two weeks. I'd have had to have physical therapy. <laughs> I'm just telling you, a lot of, a lot of times we punish people, and they, I mean, until someone acknowledges their own mess, you cannot help them. There will be no change. You take an addict. As long as, as long as the addict believes it's everybody else's fault that he has an addiction problem, it's never changing. You with me? But if the addict says, you know what, I got a problem, then we can fix it. All right. 
Romans chapter 3, let's look at verse 21. But now independently of the law, the righteousness of God is tangible and brought to light through Jesus, the anointed one. This is the righteousness that the scriptures prophesied would come. It is God's righteousness made visible through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And now all who believe in him receive that gift. For there is really no difference between us. For we have all sinned and are in need of the glory of God. Could we say that, church? For we have what? All sinned and are in need of the glory of God. Yet through his powerful declaration, what? Of acquittal. God freely gives away his righteousness, his gift of love, favor. His gift of love and favor now cascades over us, all because Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us. Look at this. We're free from what? From the guilt, punishment, and power of sin. That's good. You have been freed from what? The guilt. The punishment and the power of sin. Romans 8 verse 1. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction always brings hope that you're getting out of it. Condemnation brings shame. Conviction says you did something wrong. Shame says you are something wrong. There's a huge difference. You with me? Now, if you have a King James, it'll say, now therefore there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Then it's going to say this. How many's got a King James or a new King James right in front of you? It says this. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. If it's a new King James, that is italicized in there, right? Because that is not in the original language. And the, and, the, and the writers of that could not come to the grips that just because a person resides in Jesus that there could be no condemnation. That is how absolutely good he is. Just because you belong to Jesus, there is no condemnation. My God, that's good. All right. I can tell people like, man, I, I don't know. All right, let's look right here. Because you and I have been forgiven, here's the next part. This is what we're going to get into right here. Look at your neighbor and say, it's going to take a little faith. Because you and I have been forgiven, we must now what? Because I've been forgiven of so much greatness, how much now I've got to forgive others. This is where it's going to get tricky right here. So you mean tell me we got to forgive each other? Absolutely. How many knows if you go to church, you're going to deal with some mess? Huh? I mean, David said I could have ha- took it if it happened in the club. But he said it was, it, was, it was in the brethren that got me. Come on. It was the one I took sweet counsel with. I ain't got time to break that down to you. But I can tell you who that was. That was Jonathan who put the knife in his back. Come on, Nick. Listen here. How many knows that the church wounds are what hurts the worst? Because we're the one that's not supposed to turn the blade on each other. If we can get the crosshairs off of each other in the house of God and get them on where they're supposed to be, we're going to make some ground up. Are you with me? All right, so here's the deal. I've been forgiven of much. God's not holding any punishment towards me. 
So now I've got to learn how to forgive without wanting them. You know what I'm saying? Just look, just go. I saw this last night. It said that the President of the United States had went to Harry Reid Hospital. This is this. Help us pray. Father, let this be a terminal disease. Do you think God's fixing to answer any type of prayer like that? Hello. I'm just trying to show you the heart of where we're at. Huh? Father, I pray that you, Lord, I pray that you forgive Amanda, but Lord, if she has three flat tires, it's hot with me. Come on. Huh? Y'all ain't never had no thoughts like that. Come on. Huh? Oh, listen to this. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Mm-hmm. Y'all right? We're gonna have, we'll find us a place to stop here directly. I'm treating it like Wednesday night. On Wednesday night, we can teach for two and a half hours. So, Matthew chapter 18. All right. Later, Peter approached Jesus and said, I love it, it's Peter asking this. I mean, he's the one that's cutting people's ears off, causing all kind of problems, but he's the one asking this now. Lord, how many times... How many times do I have to forgive my fellow believer who keeps offending me? Do I have to do it seven times? Jesus answered said, not seven times, Peter, but 70 times seven. What? The lessons of forgiveness in heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. There was once a king who had servants who had borrowed money from the royal treasure. He decided to settle accounts with each of them as he began the process. It came to his attention that one of his servants owed him $1 billion. So he summoned the servant before him and said to him, Pay me what you owe me. When his servant was unable to repay his debt, the king ordered that he be sold as a slave as long a slave along with his wife and children and every possession they owned as payment toward his debt. The servant threw himself face down as his master's feet, at his master's feet and begged for mercy. Please be patient with me. Just give me more time and I'll repay you all that I owe. Upon hearing his pleas, the king had compassion on his servant and released him and forgave his entire debt. No sooner had the servant left when he met one of his fellow servants who owed him $20,000. He seized him by the throat and began to choke him, saying, You better pay me right now everything you owe me. His fellow servant threw himself face down at his feet and begged, Please be patient with me. If you'll just give me time, I'll repay you all that that is owed. But the one who had his debt forgiven stubbornly refused, look at this, to forgive what was owed him. He had his fellow servant thrown into prison and demanded he remain there until he repaid the debt in full. When his associates saw what was going on, they were outraged and went to the king and told him the whole story. The king said to him, you scoundrel, it is the way you responded. Is this the way you responded to my mercy? Because you begged me, I forgave you the massive debt that you owed me. 
Why didn't you show the same mercy to your fellow servant that I showed to you? In a fury of anger, the king turned him over to the prison guards to be tortured until all his debt was repaid. In this same way, look at this, in this same way, where was he turned over to? You you listening? In a fury of anger, the king turned him over to the prison guards to be what? Tortured until... All his debt was repaid. Now look at what he said. In the same way, Jesus said, in the same way my father would deal with any one of you who does not release forgiveness from your heart towards your fellow believer. Where where does unforgiveness lock us? In a tormented place. This ain't talking about hell. This is talking about tormenting spirits. Come on, somebody. It puts us right back under the punishment paradigm. And when we walk in unforgiveness, we take back on the old identity as a slave or orphan. Oh, our transformation, listen to this. From orphans to mature sons and daughters is a journey and a life, it is a journey of a lifetime. And receiving and forgiving forgiveness are essential ongoing practices on that journey. What I'm talking about don't happen overnight. This is a lifetime journey. And in a lifetime journey, if we're ever going to make it, we're going to have to learn how to what? Receive forgiveness and give forgiveness. Now, the beauty of life in the new covenant, however, is that our transformation is happening not, not in spite of our messes, but through them. The transformation is happening not in spite of my mess, but in my mess. How do we respond to people's messes? How do I respond to it? Listen to this. We can't control people or our kids. Whatever we fear, we will try to control. So how do I control? How, how, do, I, how do I respond? How do I respond to Matt continually jacking me up in the house of God. Take him out back. Come on, y'all. You got, we, got, we got about 15 minutes left on this ride, okay? Look at your neighbor and smile. We ain't got no peanuts to give you, but we, we coming close to the airport, okay? Been a short flight this morning. You with me? How do, how do we deal with it? How, how do I deal with this stuff? How, how, do I, how do I keep forgiving? Because I know I got to forgive. If I don't forgive, Listen, if I don't forgive, what happens is bitterness gets in my heart. Larry sent me this text the other morning. This is, this is phenomenal. Listen to this. Let me find it, what, what, what he sent me. It's, it's real simple. My phone. That right there. Listen, thank you. Let me put, listen to this. This is very good. All right. If you are offended... Listen to this. What you once loved, you now despise. My God, that's good. If you are offended, what you, what you once loved, you now despise. Oh, the one that used to love me say, Pastor John, you preach so good, we love you. It's the same one once a fence comes in. I can't wait till that fat, bald-headed man gets out of this town. Come on. Listen, what changed? It wasn't Pastor John changing. 
Don't even put, let's put it on. It wasn't the fact that Harry changed. What happened is you got unforgiveness in your heart that you didn't deal with, and you're the one that changed. It's coming out of your own heart. Golly, that's good, y'all. But see, it's so much better when I can just put it on Matt. Because if it's on Matt, then I never have to deal with me. I have never went into prayer and asked God to deal with somebody else that he did not start dealing with me. <laughs> I've never went to God and said, God, I'm telling you what's going on with this person right now. I know you don't know it. Instead of dealing with them, he dealt with me. So listen, once you're offended, what you used to love, the church that you used to love, now you hate. The relationships that you used to love, now you despise. What happened? Offended. Unforgiveness. All right, let's look. Y'all right? We're going to go 10 more minutes and we're done. Most churches are already at the buffet anyhow now. The chick is gone. Listen to this. God does not bring punishment, but what he does bring is discipline. Now, let me tell you this. Punishment and discipline share two things. And the two things they share is pain. How many knows that discipline is painful? We're going to read about it in just a second. I want to I finish. This is where I tried to get last Sunday. This is where we're going to finish up in Hebrews chapter 12. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Discipline, listen to this, is focused on benefiting the person who made the mess. Discipline is focused on benefiting. Notice what I said, benefiting the person who made the mess. I mean, you tell me we got to benefit them? Listen, discipline, in my case, it was my dad when he pulled the belt loose, you know, the leather. I mean, it sounded like a 22 going off. I don't know how he did it. Then it was folded twice, popped about three times. <laughs> Am I the only one that ever grew up like that? I mean, I survived it. You with me? He, I mean, I don't want to paint my what. I mean, he didn't get me but a few times, but when he got you, you know what I'm saying? It was just, I'm going to get, boy, Ajax ain't going to get it off of me. <laughs> huh? You with me? God, the first child, too. The, the first one always catches the brunt. You know what I'm saying? You know, like when you have, when you, when you fret new parents, like if Grant sneezed, you know what I'm saying? We was at the clinic, please get him checked out. You know what I'm saying? By the third child, I remember Asher fell out. I mean, he fell down the stairs or something. I like, he'll be all right. All right, Hebrews 12, you there? Let me finish this. because. I, I, I got to go back to make this point right here. Discipline is focused on benefiting the person who made the mess. Punishment is focused on protecting the interests of everyone but the offender. In punishment, I got to make you look bad to save face with the rest of us. You made a mistake, so I got to punish you to save face with the rest of us because we will feel a whole lot better if something is done. If he's beat down at least a little bit, I'm going to feel better. 
Junior said it ain't so. This is how we handled every leader for 20 years. I've been at the back door of the church. This is no lie. God is my way. I've been at the back door of the church where the pastor had to stand up and say he made a mistake. And as he was walking out the back door, a man punches him right in the side of the face. But we handled leaders like that. And then we, we realized that we were told that, you know, I've been at this for 25 years. And I've never seen a man be able to commit to the process. Well, if we've been doing it for 25 years and we got a stack of 60 leaders that no longer have marriages and their ministries are shipwrecked and their families are shipwrecked, first of all, it's not the most important thing that your ministry shipwrecked. What's the most important that your family shipwrecked? Hello? Maybe, maybe it's not the men that maybe it's not the men's problem. Maybe it's the process in which we're trying to work them out with. And the process in which we're trying to work them out with ain't the heart of God. It's a punishment paradigm. Has anybody ever read God's restoration? God don't restore you to back to where you were. He always places you better. Now, Hebrews chapter 12. Now, let's look at this. All right, I, I'm going to go fast right here, okay? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. I got to get there myself, Lord. I ain't even turned there. Hebrews 12, I think that's right out of the book of Leviticus, if you're still looking. Hi, you read me? All right, as for us, we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. Look at this. So, so I love the way Brian Simmons translates this. So we must let go of every wound. Every wound, not wound, <laughs> every wound that has pierced us. Is that what, I'm in the Passion Translation. And the sin we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination. For the path has already been marked out before us. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross, conquered its humiliation, and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. We did not read this, but listen, in 1 John chapter 4, it says that, that perfect love cast out all fear, right? For he that has fear has not been perfect in love, for as he is, so are we in this world. Listen, how is Jesus? He's glorified what? He's glorified and sits at the right hand of the Father. As he is, so are we. What are we? Glorified what? And we sit where? By four people. So what are we? Glorified what? And we sit where? At the right hand of the Father. Paul gets this revelation in Ephesians, says you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now, look at this. He's conquered this humiliation and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider carefully how Jesus faced such intense opposition from sinners who oppose their own souls so that you won't become worn down 
and cave in under life's pressures. After all, you've not reached to the point of sweating of blood in opposition to sin. Have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as children? He said, my child, don't underestimate the value of the what? Discipline, not the punishment, of the discipline and training of the Lord God. What does discipline come from? It comes from the word disciple, which means, which means what? Learner. With me? We want to discipline children, what? So they can what? Learn. What does, di- what does discipline, what does it help? Does it benefit me or does it help the child that I'm trying to discipline? Helps the child. I'm just being honest, a confession of my own sin right here. Sometimes, and I'm probably not the only one in this room, we whip the child to make us feel better. I love this right here. Alamite, will you come play right there? We fit and be done. In the front of in the front of one of Danny Silk's books, Sean Bolts writes the forward. The forward. God hit me. I'm making up words right here. See, if y'all would pin down all my stuff, we could put, I mean, we could stump Apple. You hear me? <laughs> there was a guy in our church in Alma, he got burnt real bad. And they had to, they had to intubate him. I told the church, I said, my God prayed, they had to incubate him last night. <laughs> this is what he said. He said to his dad, he talked about the model, the life that his dad modeled. And he said he remembered when he would get in trouble that his dad would approach him and say, let me tell you something. He said, Sean, my heart's not right right now. And I'm going out here to pray. If it takes me two hours, I got to get my heart right before I discipline you because I got to make sure, I got to make sure that it benefits you. God, if we get a church like this, y'all. If we get a church like this, when people mess up or make mistakes, instead of going to 10 people running that person down, why don't you call them and say, this is the way you made me feel? When you confront somebody, carry yourself in an attitude of brokenness. If you walk in haughty and you're looking to make sure you're right, I will promise you this. You can can write this down in your diary. You will lose the battle. But if you confront and the goal is relationship, I don't care what it takes, man. I want to win. I'm after our friendship. I'm not after being right. I'm after our friendship. And I'm not after us agreeing. But I am after us connecting. So in this, I'm just, and we'll get back in here Wednesday night. But notice how Brian Simmons translates Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. King James, since we are compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, let us run the race, laying aside every sin that does so easily beset us. But he says, laying aside every wound and sin that does so easily beset us. And he gets down in his notes and he said, what it is, is an arrow tip. An arrow tip that stays in a wounded place in our life. How many has ever heard Bill Johnson teach on the Ephesians 6? That, man, I'm telling you, if you can YouTube that and find that teaching, it is absolutely amazing. But in that way, he talks about take you the sword of the Spirit, right? In Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, where he says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord, stand in the power of his might. Taking the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, girded up with the, you know, with the breastplate of righteousness, all of this, and take the sword of the Spirit, 
right? That sword was about an, about an 18-inch. It literally looked like how many members of Ninja Turtles? Raphael had the two little daggers in his hand. It, that's, what, that's what that sword was. And it had a sharp pointed tip, tip on it. And what it was used for, what the soldier would use it for, is when shrapnel, the shrapnel from the battle, would pierce some of the some of the it would pierce some of the shield and some of that shrapnel would get into his get into his body and he would take that sword and he would begin to dig into his own body. Y'all, y'all, I'm, I'm going somewhere. This is good right here. I'm telling you, you ain't gonna get this. I'm telling you right now, you can't get this off TBN. Listen to me. He would take that sword and dig into his own body and start removing those arrow tips and shrapnel from his own life. This is what the Word of God is for. The Word of God is not for you to look into. Come on, somebody, and build a case against your neighbor. The Word of God is a sword that you fall on your own self. My God, this is good. And you begin to pull those own hurts and those own wounds out of your life and say, God, this was a rough place in my life. But I'm asking you, by the power of your grace, will you take Take your word and pierce it into my life and remove that shrapnel from me because I can't, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I cannot continue to run the race with this in my life any longer. Remove the wounds. All of us has got wounds from the past. All of us has let down disappointments. We've had people to talk about us behind our back. People that didn't know the whole story. People that read us wrong. It is shrapnel that has got through the through the shield. And now it is in my life. And what happens is what he's putting the picture is the runner is weighted down and he's weighted down with the arrowheads of past wars. But take ye the sword of the Spirit. Let me show you what the sword does. Matthew chapter 7. How do you try to get the speck out of your brother's eye when a beaming pole is in your own eye? Man, I'm telling you this. this, I'm so sick of people thinking prophetic ministry is to find faults and failures in people's life. The prophetic ministry is to see the gold in people's life. God ain't made you no sheriff or a judge, friend. Come on, son. And let me just tell you that the fact that you bear your gift like that proves to me how distant of a relationship you have with God. Oh, my God. When, the, when, when James and John was walking with Jesus in Luke 9, they're in the city of Samaria, and they're in the city of Samaria, and the Samaritans reject Jesus. Say, listen here, you ain't setting up your tent up in here to preach. We don't want you here. John looked at Jesus and said, hey, you want us to call fire down on this people? Jesus stopped and said, hey, man, you don't know what manner of spirit you are because John saw from a long-distance relationship, he saw sin and people unworthy of the gift of God, but Jesus said you don't understand my grace you don't understand my mercy I'm going to go out of my way and have an encounter with a woman at the well and I'm going to tell her everything she ever done she's going to go back to a city you cannot write people off as being too far gone oh my job is just to get the shrapnel out of my own life my God listen here If we could work at getting the shrapnel 
out of your own life, you wouldn't have time to worry about what's happening down the road at your sister and brother's house. Just start cleaning up your own front door. Just start cleaning. Just listen here. You need to call somebody. So listen here. I'm going to be absent off of social media for the next six months because I'm so weighted down. I got so many air tips in me. It's going to be a while before I can say something. My God, I'm going to get in trouble right here. 30 minutes a day on Facebook will lead to a depression life, depressed life. I mean, it can, man. <laughs> I don't even have, but I'm telling you, people kill me. We just stopped at Longhorns and ate. Now we're on the way to Walmart. Bought groceries tonight, we back at the house. But let me tell you this, though. Let me tell you this. What, what, what social media has did, has done. God, I got to get it right. It's hard to believe I was an English major. But what it has done is it has give a platform to the cowards to spew their vomit out on other believers. I may not agree with you, friend, but let me tell you something. I'm for you. You know the reason why I'm for you? Because you're created in the image of God. I'm going to honor that. I'm going to honor the fact that you're created in the image of God. And you know what I realize? I realize enough about me that i got a bunch of problems. And i got a bunch of shrapnel i got to work with in my own life. Because I'm telling you, as we, man, 2019 has not been an easy year for me. This has been a tough year. And one of the things that I've realized through God's mercy giving me dreams is I didn't realize how much hurt that I've toted. I didn't realize how many air tips, you know, oh, we don't, that didn't bother me. You know what's the hardest words? You know what's the most harmful words? It's the unspoken. I love you. church should be a place you should be able to let your hair down you should be able to look at your neighbor and say man I'm struggling I don't know if I'm going to make it or not but by God's grace and mercy if you'll pray for me I'm going to make it and we could look down and say you know what I've been there too stand up with us we're done How many enjoyed the word today? Hey, I want to, we're fixing to get out of here. I, I just want to do something before we leave that you don't have to participate in this. There's nobody, nobody really knows what I mean fixing to do. Um, but I guess it was a couple weeks ago I got a text to um, on a Monday morning to write a letter. And I had Matt to dig into that. And, and what it was is they just wanted me to write a letter for um, saying how great Stanton was. 
like, I, ain't right. I don't want to get him big head. No, I'm listening. I just said, man, you know, I want you to dig into this, find out what it was. But, you know, I think it was Trenton, Hunter, and just several ones. They just wanted to honor you guys. And someone had sent me this podcast, and I was listening to this podcast, and I heard a company's name mentioned. And I went and Googled this company, and I thought, my God, how, how cool is this? And so I got on there, and I was like, man, I need that, you know? And y'all right? So I found out through this, through this journey, that a pen is one of the most honorable gifts that you could give someone. And because a pen says, I value what you have to say. And I received this pen, you know, um, I don't know what, maybe a year and a half ago, maybe getting close to two years now. And, you know, I cut up, and Mr. Allen even had me sign his Bible with it. You know, this is bad at a bone pen. This is a gold Mont Blanc. This pen will cost you about 1400 and some odd dollars. And it writes like a champ. And so then I found this company, and I realized that a few years ago, there was a tree that stood in Logan County, Kentucky. It is where Peter Cartwright and McCready and all these different ones of the Cane Ridge Revival in the early 1800s. How many ever heard about that move of God? This tree stood with Cartwright preaching under it and different ones. This is one of the greatest revivals in the Second Great Awakening. And lightning hit this tree a few years ago. And there's a man by the name of Ray Hughes. How many know who Ray Hughes is? He got this tree and he sent trucks to Logan County, Kentucky, and he brought them back to, and he brought it back to Alabama. And he had this tree meal. And he started building pens out of this tree. I was like, holy smokes. And so he's got on there the slogan for his company, Red River Turning Company. And it says, you're holding history while writing the future. So then I got to researching, and Ray Hughes, there was two brothers named the Joshua brothers. There's one Frank and one Seth. Is it Frank or Fred? Frank, I think. And so in 1904, they were doing this prayer event, and Seth prayed the famous prayer, Lord, bend us. And there was a young preacher in that room by the name of Evan Roberts. How many's ever heard of the Welsh Revival? The Welsh Revival was so strong in Wales that men could not sit in the pubs and bend the alcohol to their mouth. And Fred, Frank was, was, was an older guy. He was a pastor. And so anyhow, they had this chair that they sat at at a desk. And Ray Hughes was able to get that chair. It's a hundred and something years old. He got the chair and he made 70 pins, only 70 in the world, 70 pins out of that chair that the two Joshua brothers sat in. There's one of those pins. And I, want, I wanted one of those pins and I was like, man, I want the brass one. You know what I'm saying? The brass, I just, I just want that brass and... I mean, I don't know, I, I just, that was it. And as I got to reading the story, and I was like, you know, man, the brass just wasn't me. 
because Frank, is it Frank or Fred? I can't remember. I can go back and read the story. I think it's Frank. I could be misquoting. Frank. Stan says his name Frank. He's read the story. And so Frank was the older guy. And it was said of Frank because the pewter is built out to Frank. And this is the wood from the original chair that they sat in. And if you go to Red, Red River uh, Turning Company, you can see the chair that they actually sat in. And, and this is that chair I hold in my hand. So we hold history riding into the future. Come on, y'all. That's cool, man. Y'all don't think that's cool? So, so with that is, uh, and they, they, got, they just got some cool stuff, man. Here's a hand-sewn leather journal, the Red River Company on the back. So anyhow, so the young guy was Seth. Seth was a street boxer converted evangelist. Now, I don't believe Stanton, no street boxer. But he is a lefty, so we. But Seth was known for the one that would travel the broad to preach the gospel with power and might and conviction and passion. So when I read that story, I told Matt, I said, man, we got to get Stanton that pen. And so here's the other brother. This is the brass pen. And so I want you to stand up where you're already standing up. I want you to stretch your hands towards Stanton and Abby as I pray for them. And we're going to honor them with this pen. And you say, Abby's like, well, my God, I mean, what did he get me? If he got him some kind of pen like that, I'm going to have Cleve to come up with that offering bucket. And you don't have to, but if you want to plant in their life, I'm fixing to give Abby some Black Friday money. So y'all two stand right here. Let me tell you this about them just for a second. Miss, Miss, Miss Allen and Mr. Ian, I guarantee you, has a greater respect for what these two do on a Wednesday night after being with me Wednesday night in my classroom. Listen to this, church. We had two kids, we had more than two kids, two different families that wanted to stay, that wanted to stay in our youth room because they did not have heat in their houses. And how many knows how cold it was Wednesday night? Stanton did not call me and ask me what to do. He knew what to do. He had someone fixing those units on the following morning at 10 o'clock. Come on, y'all. How many knows that's the real gospel? They don't care how much Hebrew, Greek, and all that we know. They just cold. Come on, somebody. And if we can tell them this, listen here. The reason why you got your heat cut on and you got your heat fixed, because we love you and God loves you. That's all they need to know. So I'm super proud of them this morning. You don't have to give a dime. We will make sure that they have something. And we'll make sure that she's got enough money to get Stanton a new pair of skinny jeans come Black Friday. But I'm super proud of them. Are you super proud of them? But of what he's done in the life of Trenton and Hunter, Hunter, I'm super proud of you. I am super proud of what these kids are doing in, in here. So, Father... Stanton, we love you. We're super proud of you. Buddy, there's no telling what you're going to write. And um, there's no doubt. I remember years ago, 
Kathy and I were in our early 20s. And Pastor Dale said, you're the right people at the right place at the right time. I'm telling you, you two are the right people at the right place at the right time. Father, we bless them. We thank you for the dynamic duo that they are. And Lord, we just bless them today. We just want to bless them in Jesus' name. Give them a great God bless you. You got an offering bucket. We're going to take up offering. If you don't want to give to him, you can give to me. <laughs> Y'all right? How many knows it's fun to bless people? It's fun to bless people. Come on, and that's what we're doing. Christmas party, December the 8th, right? December the 8th at, at 6 o'clock. You do not want to miss this year's Christmas party. We have got smorgasbord, gator tail, rattlesnake. No, we're doing it up. It's going to be a steak dinner, a steak dinner. We're giving each person two ounces of steak. So we want you to be here. <laughs> Listen here, December 8th, don't forget that. God bless you. We'll see you here Wednesday night. Hug somebody, love them, tell them good to see them. We hope you enjoyed our message of the week. Thanks for joining us. Our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week.